Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by Bend Active. Guys, if you're looking for the perfect holiday gift for your ladies, check out bendactive.com. Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter, it is a Tuesday. We are doing it live to tape, and uh, you're probably hearing this on a Wednesday. So, look, we, we, we have done something this football season that, you know, I don't know if you guys had done it previously, but you and I had never done before. We, we basically did a radio show is what we did. I mean, we, we had it segmented out, and it was be, built around the Ohio State football games. And, and this is the first week where, frankly, we don't have a game. <laughs> so we, the, we, we kind of are throwing the format into the air a little bit. So I, I think we will keep it in the, for, in the framework of a weekly radio show. It, it should sound like that. And what we will try to do here is find hot-button things that are of interest in the college football world and the college basketball world as that starts to heat up uh, once the season gets further and further along. So that'll be kind of what the show is. That's our objective. We hope you enjoy the listen as much as you did in football season. We certainly appreciate you listening in football season. We'll try to keep it that way. Um, Let's start in the football arena. This week, I thought Jim Harbaugh had... To me, his biggest victory as the Michigan head coach, because he just doesn't really had many on the field. Um, <laughs> hey, but, what are you comparing his, that to? Like, <laughs> well, I know it. I mean, it's valedictorian to summer school. There's not, I mean, there's not a lot to yeah. choose from. But, but him com- convincing Shea Patterson, the Ole Miss quarterback, who because of uh, Hugh Freeze's, you know, many transgressions and rampant cheating, um, has been allowed to transfer now. At, at, at the time of the recording of this podcast, we do not know if he is going to be eligible to play next year. But the conventional wisdom that I am reading out there about this says that he will. That the seniors at Ole Miss are allowed to tra- transfer right away without penalty and play right away without penalty. But that Patterson and several of these other high-profile players who went to Ole Miss under freeze um, are being able to transfer and they are setting up. Uh, a grievance, a lawsuit against the NCAA and Ole Miss, and, and basically saying that they were lied to by Hugh Freeze, that he said that, this out, that the sanctions wouldn't be that severe, and the sanctions are quite severe. And I think the NCAA, I think there's a decent chance that they allow these kids to transfer freely right away, just as they did with the Penn State kids when they did. Um, and I think there's a decent chance that this kid's going to be eligible right away. This is the biggest win for Harbaugh for the standpoint of, if you've watched this kid play football, he is instantly the most talented quarterback that Jim Harbaugh's coached since Andrew Luck, and far and away the most talented quarterback he's had at the University of Michigan. This kid is an NFL-type player. He was the number one pro-style quarterback coming out of high school in 2016. Um, he has He's from Toledo. He played, I believe, at IMG. Uh, he transferred to IMG for the you know towards the end of his career. He wears, a weir- he wears 20, which is kind of weird. I don't know if he's going to wear 20 at Michigan. Um, but, Johnny, when you think all you heard this year when you heard about the Ohio State-Michigan game was that for Michigan, this was borrowed time, and next year is when it was their year. You know, 16, 17, 16 starters coming back, all this stuff. But I kept saying, and we kept, okay, but who's going to play quarterback? And we know what has, we have a pretty good idea what Haskins can be. But if Michigan doesn't have a ball player quarterback, and I've said on every platform, this platform, my radio show, the TV show, how could Harbaugh not have a blue chip, can't miss quarterback? And Johnny, he finally got one in an unconventional way, but he finally got one. And I think it sets up Michigan to be the favorite in the Big Ten next year if this kid can prove to be eligible. Well, first of all, I think that that eligibility was probably a huge part of why they went after him. I think they're pretty certain that he's going to be able to play. I, I yeah. don't know that he would be a huge target if they had any kind of doubt about that. Um, I he, you know, In the games that he's played, you know, when, when people have watched him, he's, he's clearly – got some legitimate talent. I mean, the guy is going to be instantly one of the best quarterbacks in the big 10, um, especially next year. And so I, you know, to me, I think it's the, the unorthodox way that he is coming to Michigan is something that kind of jumps out at me a little bit. It it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily strike me as desperate, but it does strike me as unusual that you're this far into Jim Harbaugh's tenure and you're looking for transfers like senior transfers and, and transfers from other schools and things like that to try to shore up your quarterback stable, you would have thought that by this time he would have developed, he'd be two or three deep, right? Like he would have guys that he could just pick from. who would be instantly great at Michigan. Yep. Um, But regardless, I mean, that's, you know, that's one of those things where you're going to try to, you know, maybe mitigate the effect that this guy will have on, on Michigan by saying, Oh, well, they, they should have had this guy already. Well, the truth of the matter is he's going to make them better. And Michigan has a lot of talent. They're incredibly young team. If that 
guy, if Shea can, can gel very well with their offense, uh, I don't think there's any reason to believe that they wouldn't be Big Ten favorites. So it, it would be really interesting to see how that actually ends up working out, not only in terms of whether or not he's going to get that eligibility right away, which I, I think he will, but also whether they'll be able to integrate him seamlessly into the offense. Because, look, I mean, you had a situation at Michigan this season where you had so many different guys who were trying to do different things, and it was just up and down, back and forth, and you didn't have any consistency at the most important position in sports. So if they can have that, I think you're going to see next year what a lot of people were hoping for Michigan this year, uh, which is, you know, a team that wins 11 or 12 games and and maybe, you know, gets in the college football playoff. Yeah, I, I think that's the ex- that would be the, this would be the first time that Jim could play with expectations. Yes. Um, yes. They will. If this kid is eligible, and I agree with you, I think he will be. Um, he should be able to get through spring. And if he if there's. <laughs> I just I've seen him play a lot. I mean, I really liked watching Ole Miss play the last, you know, before all the trouble came. They had a lot of talent. Uh, oh, they yeah. beat Bama a couple of times. I mean, they were fun to watch. I've got a soft spot in my heart for them because of the Archie Manning and the the I love their powder blue helmets. I mean, the, the whole thing. So I I, I do enjoy I, the coeds are nice too there. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the oh, Oxford's pretty good. I think Ramsey went there. This it's pretty good. It's a pretty good place to go visit and go watch a football game. Um, but I digress. The Shea Patterson, if if this this has the potential to be, this has the potential to be a Baker Mayfield type situation. I'm not saying win the Heisman, but oh, the sure. type of impact that Baker Mayfield had mm-hmm. on an Oklahoma program that was kind of had kind of run stagnant and was kind of just kind of hovering, and then he comes in there and just gives it a jolt. That's what Patterson could do for UM. I mean, if he comes in and has a big couple of years. And they win a Big Ten and, you know, get to a playoff over the next two years, next two seasons with him as their quarterback. And they prove that they are an equal to Ohio State and a legitimate rival to Ohio State on the football field, not just in lore and in history, but on the football field. If, if they can pull that off, then this changes the dynamic across the board. It allows they will then be able to recruit at, recruit at a higher level, something that Harbaugh has been good at, but not great. He's not at Urban's level. Potentially, that would allow for that. It would also allow for. If if Patterson can shine and end up being prove himself as like a first round pick type guy, it would allow for the next pro style quarterback to say, "Hey, you know what? Maybe I ought to go to Michigan instead of all these kids who go to Georgia or Clemson or whatever. Maybe I ought to go to Michigan. Michigan. Look what he did for Patterson. So this is there's a big upside here for Jim. And to me, that I stand by it. I think potentially for right now. I mean, it's a kid in December. I get it, but I don't know that he's got a bigger win. I, I don't. I mean. The 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 recruit the other recruiting victories there's some big ones in there certainly but he's got no wins on the field that you shake that you go boy there that's a that's a game changer this has the potential to be a game changer for them so uh, I'm excited for it I think it'll be fun next year for Ohio State if this if he if this does go well it'd be fun for Ohio State to be like a co favorite in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. instead of just the overwhelming favorite <laughs> um, so that, that that will be that'll be fun I look forward to that. It's it juices this up a little bit. I mean, next year's game is going to be something if this kid can stay healthy and perform the kind of the way that I thought that I kind of believe that he can. I, I believe in him a lot. I think he's a really special football player. Um, let's let's go ahead. Do you have one more thing on that? Yeah. The the only thing that I would add yeah. to that is I you sure. know I think I don't know that he's going to win the Heisman. I think you can look at that and reasonably. Oh go no, no, I don't mean that. Right. And no, I and I'm, I I understand what you're saying though. I mean, he's he's definitely a talent. I I remember watching him at Ole Miss and and doing just some really great like fun-slinging Brett Favre kind of stuff, which is great and something I you know, Michigan football I think frankly needs someone like that uh, cuz I you know, the program I think is still viewed in a lot of ways as very stagnant and you don't have like yeah. this you don't have guys like Braxton Miller and, and Ezekiel Elliott running around back there that really kind of inspire people at at Michigan, at least people who aren't, you know, Michigan fans already. But what I think is interesting is going to be their schedule for next year as well because they start off with Notre Dame on the road. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an interesting game, especially, like, let's say, you know, Patterson ends up being that guy. And then, of course, you've got to go to Ohio State at the end of the year. So in between, it's a manageable schedule. They get, you know, Wisconsin at home. Uh, they get Penn State at home. But, you know, I, it's really going to be a trial by fire. And, and – What's going to be interesting to me is how prepared Jim Harbaugh 
is going to be able to get him for the season. And, and if you want to talk about the ultimate test, in my opinion, of this whole quarterback whisper stuff, if he's not able to go immediately and they can't make an impact immediately on the road at Notre Dame, then I think you can start legitimately questioning some of these bona fides that we've kind of assumed about Jim Harbaugh. And so think, it, it's, to me, it's right. not just about Patterson. It's about Jim Harbaugh, the quarterback coach, and maybe the coach overall. Well, it's just like when we – it's the way we – look, with great expectations comes great pressure. Yes. It's just like Urban. I mean, Urban has set a standard. You know, it's just like how this year is such a disappointment for most people. Most fans, it's a tremendous disappointment because Urban sets the bar, national championship, college football playoff, or bust. Yeah. Whether you want to hear it or not, whether it's realistic or not, that's the expectation. For the first time since Harbaugh's been at Michigan, next year they'll have expectations because this kid says, I'm going to come play there. Right. I mean, that's that's a pretty big game changer for what it's been to this point. He's always been the little engine who could up there who really hasn't. And now he's finally going to have some expectations. And and I would think if this kid's eligible and he has a decent spring and he kind of runs away with the job, which I think he would, his talent level leads me to believe that he would, um, that that they would go into next year as the preseason pick to win the Big Ten. And that would be a total game changer. They've never been that since he's been there, not even close. Um, so that that's what I mean. He's not winning the Heisman, not, nothing like that. But just the, the shot in the arm it could do for the Michigan program, I think, could potentially be substantial and to your point the pressure that will now be on Harbaugh he can get exposed pretty quick like if this doesn't work and this kid doesn't have success and doesn't light it up then I think there are legitimate questions of can Jim recruit and can Jim develop an offense that can win on a national level because that's and that would be a fair question I, I think that's a great point um as for Ohio State and we're in this spot now on the Ohio State schedule where you're just kind of waiting, right? I mean, we're, we're on the award circuit. Billy Price wins one like every other day. Um, yeah. Like 100 All-American awards come out. We are, we're still a couple of weeks from USC, obviously. The holiday season has started. Um, we, what I'm so, a little surprised, I've heard no whispers of anybody sitting out the USC game. Like Denzel Ward, Sam Hubbard. I've heard nothing. Have you heard a whisper of no. potential of anybody sitting that game out or does it seem like every, it's all hands on deck which is really an incredible tribute to urban and the buy-in that he gets out of these kids well and you know jt barrett said that he would be really shocked if that happened and i i would be surprised right. as well I, i'm you know i think they're all in especially for jt like those guys if you looked at how they reacted to him especially you know like the the big 10 you know the, the the documentary stuff that they do and all this stuff. i mean they were playing for him they're playing for jt barrett and they want to send that dude out with a win i can't imagine any of the guys who have been there especially two or three four years uh going you know what jt you're a great dude but i gotta like they're going to play in that game for him uh, whatever other misgivings they might have or opportunities in the nfl I, I i would be shocked if someone really significant ended up setting out that game. I don't see that happening at all. No, no, I don't either. Um, and so th- this this has the – there's no juice for this game nationally. Like, no one's talking about it anywhere. You can, right. you can listen to – you watch television, you can go, yeah, listen to radio. On a national standpoint, nobody cares about this game. This is something that draft people will care about because they want to see Sam Darnold and want to see the Buckeye-eligible kids. And obviously, Buckeye fans are going to, you're going to be dialed into this. We said last week on the show, this is an awkward game with it being December 29th on a Friday night. I mean, it's so far away from New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, the traditional bowl kind of lineup. It comes so early, so quick after Christmas, after the Christmas holiday that I, boy, I just don't know if there's any juice for it. Have you heard anything about juice for people trying to get to the game or trying to make it part of their holiday plans? I don't, I, you know, I don't think so. No, it's funny because, you know, you you always allot these tickets and the people sell packages and whatnot. Um, I don't know that everybody's clamoring to go to Dallas. It's not that, you know, not not hating on Dallas necessarily, but this isn't a trip to the Fiesta Bowl. You know, this isn't a trip to the Rose Bowl. And so I just think a lot of people aren't. Yeah, I don't know that they're really thinking about in the same way. Um, I think, you know, just from a historical standpoint, it's great, but. You're right. And, and honestly, this is a function. It really doesn't matter who they were playing because this is a function of what happens when you have something like the college football playoff because everything else kind of loses its luster a little bit. It and does. before this, even during the BCS era, you had this, you know, maybe inkling of idea, which, you know, never really came to fruition. But you had this idea. I was like, you know what? If we're in one of those New Year's bowls, if we're in one of those big time bowls, 
you know, and those two teams up top look really, really bad, and we look really, really, really good. Then maybe right. something yeah. goofy will happen. Now, obviously, that was never going to really happen, but it still made you more invested. And, and actually, when we get to talking about the Heisman a little bit, uh, I'm going to make a similar point. But I guess what I'm saying is that um, it, it does decrease the amount of excitement for these bowls overall when you've got something like the playoff. And if you're denied that, then you're kind of like, okay, this is our consolation prize. And maybe you're just not as hyped about it as you were. You, you what the, the other thing about the BCS was, you know, a game like the Cotton Bowl, a game like this would still be on New Year's Day. Yes. Now right. all these things are spread out. That would have helped. Like if this is a New Year's Day game, I think it would even help. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead that because, you know, ESPN has paid so much. So all these games are on at eight o'clock at night every night. So there's a game and they can try and get ratings and maximize their dollars instead of I mean, if you think about the good old days, you know, there, there were games going on at the same time, you know, really good games. You know, the Cotton Bowl was being played as the Orange Bowl or the the Rose Bowl was starting, and the Fiesta Bowl and the Orange Bowl went oftentimes went head to head at night. I mean, like these games were competitive competitive because they were on different television networks. Right. You know, so you had like this football smorgasbord, and now the way it's set up is, you know, obviously ESPN's trying to maximize their 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 dollars. So I mean, I get it. It's it's fine. Um, all right. The other thing I want to get to um was the Heisman so I, now I voted for Baker Mayfield uh I, I, there, I honestly had a tough time even putting even trying to figure out who to put second I put Lamar Jackson second he was spectacular this year yeah he had a better year statistically right. this year than yeah. last yeah he did he, he did he was really really good um so I had him second and um I had Bryce Love third so that but it was a really I, you know I, there was <laughs> there wasn't much drama to it. I thought there was a chance that Mayfield could actually pass Troy for the largest margin of victory ever. He didn't. He ended up with the third largest uh, percentage or margin ever of all time. The ratings were down big. Um, I did not watch it because I knew who was going to win it, and I think that's maybe why the ratings aren't what they've been because because there's just so much information out. I'm curious uh, your feeling on on why the why the ratings continue to plummet on the Heisman, which has basically just been a downward spiral. Okay, so I need I'm I'm glad we can talk about this because I was wondering about it earlier and I was thinking like didn't they used to when they were doing the Heisman didn't they combine a lot of the other awards in the same show? Or am I imagining that? Not with the Heisman. The Heisman always stood alone. Okay. Heisman okay. is always stood alone. Well, now they guess- would put some of them on like, you know, the day be- like the Thursday be- the Heisman was always Saturday right. and the other game. Now it used to be like a half hour. Now I think ESPN makes it an hour, but it used to be yeah. a half hour. It was on Saturday. Um, and then in pre, then the other ones were, you would come like the Thursday before. So it'd be like Thursday and then two days and then Saturday was the Heisman. Right. So I guess this is kind of what I'm getting at because I mean, that's kind of a relevant point, but I was just kind of curious about how they did that in the past because I always felt like there was more maybe importance placed on some of the other things as opposed to just kind of like dropping by the wayside and saying the only award really that matters is the Heisman. But to me, part of the reason why I think a lot of that viewership has gone down is in part because of how they've handled football in general in the past, like five to 10 years, which is if you don't have like, this is it. All right. This is the only thing. And this is the only thing that you should care about on this day. We're going to make a huge big deal out of it. And you have to care as much as humanly possible because that's really how we're going to present it. And I think part of the reason why the Heisman viewership has gone down because it's by its nature, a very regional event it's not something that you're going to care about across the country unless you are unbelievably invested in college football on every level like if 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 you're not really you know an opponent of Baker or in the same conference or a fan of Oklahoma I don't know that you're really going to care all that much about a Heisman race that's pretty much a runaway so to me like I don't know what you do to increase viewership but I always felt that the Heisman race was in general something and the show in general was something that just didn't hold a lot of appeal to me if it wasn't something that I felt any kind of connection to as a fan because I didn't know, I just didn't feel it. I I didn't understand why it's something that I really want to tune in for. Not only that, but like it's, it's going to, and I know this is the cliche, but it's always going to go to the best running back or quarterback. Like that's not going to change. Like it's, it's not been that like once in the past, you know, 30, 40 years, like it's, So to me, Mm -hmm. that lessens the appeal of it. Um, It makes it seem like a formality, right? And they bring out all the past Heisman winners, and that's great. But it it really feels like something that's this kind of rote, 
Like you gotta, you, you're supposed to respect this, but it never changes. And I don't know that it really increases its appeal among anyone, especially when there's tons of other things that distract people. I think the biggest thing that's happened to the Heisman is social media. I think so- yeah. social media has affected the Heisman incredibly negatively because it used to be before social media, you didn't know who a particular, you, you knew all these writers and television personalities and players and at former winners, all these guys were voting on the Heisman but you had no idea what they felt about players. Right. Like now most people who are listening to this probably follow whether they know it or not, a hundred or 150 Heisman voters. It, they have a pretty good feel who's going to win this thing. So that's the bit. That's the number one thing to me is there's no suspense. I mean, it's none there, If you go back, go pre social media and, and look at the Heisman presentation. And in many cases you're waiting until they announce it to get it. I mean, Obviously, the one that I remember is the one with Charles Woodson, Peyton Manning, and my buddy Ryan Leaf and Randy Moss. Hmm. Like that was legitimate drama. I mean, first of all, it was incredible star power, but it was a legitimate drama of who was going to win the thing. We haven't had a who's going to win the thing for a long time. I mean, it's been a long time. It's been a fait accompli for a long time. The last one I can remember was Sam Bradford and uh, Colt McCoy was really close. You know, that was that's been about ten years ago, like oh nine, oh eight, something like that. That's mm-hmm. been a while. I mean, we haven't had one. The last one that kind of had any juice was the Manti Teo Johnny Manziel one because Teo was so great and he was great in big games for Notre Dame. Like he wasn't just like, you know, a, a, a linebacker. Like he was a, he really made some big plays in big games. And then there was the catfishing and all this crazy stuff that you're trying to make <laughs> sense of. Yeah. And then Johnny was kind of this duplicitous guy who was, you know, you, you worried about the integrity. So there's a, that, that to me is the biggest thing. There's so much information out there that there really isn't any suspense to it. Um, it's well, it's a tricky award in that sense because everybody yeah. kind of knows who's going to win it. We haven't had legitimate drama in it in a very long time. Let me add to that, though, because it's not just the fact that people in general know right where most people are thinking. I also think social media, amongst the people who are voting, amongst the people who are talking about it, it has this kind of like leveling effect where – because the discussion is happening in real time as these games are going yeah. on, it, it almost moderates all the opinion about these players. Like if look, if Baker Mayfield starts out as his Heisman favorite at the beginning of the season and he doesn't completely screw up during the season, he's still going to be in the conversation at the end of the season because people have been talking about him ad nauseum for the entire season. And right. I mean, people are talking about a guy like, look, and I think he's an incredible talent, and I actually picked him to win the Heisman this year, but Saquon Barkley was in the conversation until the very end of the year when clearly he wasn't. November, he fell off. Yeah. Well, when right. He couldn't, but I'm saying, that's my point. Back-to-back games with Ohio State and Michigan State, you know, I mean, that, right. that was kind that's of the end That's what I'm saying. I think this, like, there were plenty of other guys mm-hmm. that deserved a lot of talk before Saquon Barkley at that point in the year. There were a lot of people who were completely ignored by the Heisman committee because they didn't have that initial inertia. And so to me, I think social media establishes these guys. And by the time the Heisman ceremony rolls around, you know, it's such a foregone conclusion because you've been thinking about these guys all season long and people have been discussing them and kind of like making this a sure thing that it's, it's a formality. And so people don't really have an exciting reason to tune in. And, and I, I agree with you. I think, a lot of it is that it is kind of a foregone collusion, and social media definitely plays into that. I'll tell you one thing that was cool, though. Like, nobody was talking about Lamar Jackson all year. I mean, nothing. Yeah. He had a bad yeah. game against Clemson, like in the second or third game of the season, or Florida State, I, can't, I think it was Clemson, and was bad. Um, and so he, for him to finish second, did he finish him or Love? I, it doesn't even matter. I think he finished so second. Back. But that's my but but I mean, that, the point, that though. That was like, interesting. He this was a guy nobody talked about. Nobody yeah, talked about him. Ever, do you think he ever had a shot at really winning? Like he had an incredibly no, of course not. Year. So that's no, he was never going like, to win because he was bad on those big stages. Right. Know, he was bad against Clemson. And so, you know, he, he wasn't going to win. Um, you know, I, I'll tell you, I voted for Tao. I voted for Indomitian Sioux. Um, which I, I which I greatly one. appreciate, by the way, I think he 100% yeah. should have won that year. Um, yeah, he should have. And that, but there hasn't, it's hard to find, you know, you, it's hard to find a defensive player that that dominate the way college football that's the other thing college football has changed so much to so much throw it around it's really all on the the game of football in general is all on quarterbacks so it's they're so important so it's it is a 
you know, I think it's going to be this way for a while. I don't know if there's much you can do. All right, still to come, we'll talk a little basketball. My man Scooney Penn with a really cool cameo in a video that I saw last week that I want to talk about a little bit. But first, our girl, our guy Kyle Jones will join for a breakdown. He's looked at the USC film. We'll do that next. Before we get to that, a word from our title sponsor, Bend Active. Fellas, it's getting close. You're struggling to find gifts for the lady, maybe a stocking stuffer. Check out Bend Active, Ben's locally inspired fitness and fashion apparel, sure to make your special someone smile when that package arrives. The game day collection features officially licensed Ohio State leggings, tops, sports bras, yogas, mats, iconic pant stripe worn by the Buckeyes, the leaves, the block O, all of it. The Shelly Meyer collection also there has the tops and bottoms spotted, inspired by the first lady of Buckeye football. Portion of the proceeds there go to the, uh, go to the Shelly and Urban and Shelly Meyer Fund for Cancer Research. Ben, with its empowering message to be flexible, strong, resilient, Columbus-based company, its flagship store located at 1617 West Lane Avenue in Upper Arlington, shops on Lane, shop now at www.bendactive.com until that special someone, you've earned your Buckeyes. All right, it is with great, I've enjoyed Kyle Kyle's work for a very long time. This is the first time I've had him, we've had him on the Dugcast since I've been doing it, so I'm excited to have him on. I saw that you did a breakdown uh, of USC. And um, what when I saw the matchup, the USC looked like you know what they what they are is is kind of the kryptonite to Ohio State because of Darnold, right? Because Ronald Jones is really he's the deal. He's kind of the meal ticket. But Darnold is the is this elite player at quarterback who can kind of if if we are able to stop Jones like we've done with Barkley and like we've done with others, then oh yeah, they have Sam Darnold. What is your initial impression of of the USC offense as you've started to dig in on it a little bit? Well, yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. It's, uh, you know, this offense is built around that elite passer um, sitting back there in the pocket. Um, you know, I, I think the, the piece that might be a little bit different um, for Ohio State this time around compared to some of the other offenses they've faced um, is that, you know, like Barkley, you know, Barkley was the best player on that offense and it was really built to feature him. Um, this is the first time since really Oklahoma um, and Baker Mayfield that they're, they're facing an offense really built around the quarterback. Um, that's not really something you see that often in the Big Ten. Uh, we can go on for hours about the Big Ten's lack of a, a real star quarterback that can translate to the next level. Um, but, you know, this is a definitely a unique um, challenge for the Buckeyes. I, I think the difference here, though, um, you know, when you turn on the tape and you actually watch it and you watch them play Pac-12 teams, and then you watch them play teams from other conferences, is Ohio State's going to have a massive, massive advantage in the trenches against this, this Trojan offense. Um, you know, we've talked all season long about the rushmen and their ability to, to cause chaos and to get in backfields and not just Nick Bosa as talented as he is, but really that depth, um, you know, Robert Landers isn't even starting and he might've been one of the best players on the field in the big 10 championship game. Um, you know, that, that depth to be able to just come at you all night long in the trenches. If we look at USC's schedule, you know, they got bombed in South bend from ex the exact same thing. Um, Notre Dame, you know, their defensive line is very good. It's not as good as Ohio state's and Notre Dame's defensive line just ate all night long. They were living in the backfield. It caused problems for Darnold. Um, you know, Darnold is great on the run. He's great when pocket, when the pocket breaks down, that's why pro scouts love him. They don't love him from that, you know, traditional Bill Walsh, three-step drop and fire a hitch. He can do it, but you know, he's great because when the play breaks down, he keeps it alive. He's a great athlete. He's got a great arm. Um, but that's a really tough way to live. Um, that is not the way Baker Mayfield beat the Buckeyes where he just had those RPOs and play action passes all night long. Um, this is going to be a very, very different look um, for USC, just as much as a different look for Ohio State. So would USC, I mean, because I was kind of thinking about that. I mean, a lot of the ways that some of the teams, you know, earlier in the season, you think I just think about Indiana, uh, tried to mitigate some of that was to go with the the quick drops and then just, just you know, mm -hmm. throw a little hitches and whatnot. I mean, is is USC capable of that? Is that something that their offense is set up to be able to do? They can. They absolutely can. Um, if you play off coverage, those corners are going to sit back. Darnold can complete those passes. I mean, he, he can find that, that out all the way to the up opposite side of the field and hit it, you know, hit his receiver right there on the numbers, um, you know, just take the snap and chuck it. Um, he's absolutely capable, capable of it. They've got good receivers um, that are capable uh, of making those plays. 
but if you look at what Ohio State's done, what what do they have on the outside, you know, to mitigate that? They've got one of the best corners in America at playing press coverage. So, okay, you want to try to throw, you know, three yard or you know, three step hitches against Denzel Ward, good luck. You know, that's not gonna work <laughs> yeah. out so well for you, you know, no matter no matter how good your arm is. Um and and I think that what you'll see is maybe USC tries that a little bit the way Indiana did. I think we can all agree that, you know, the the Indiana passing game um, took advantage of, uh, you know, some, some players like Damon Arnett and Kendall Sheffield that weren't quite ready. Um, Damon Arnett has looked better um, as the season's gone along. Sheffield's had his, his issues down the field in coverage. And I think Ohio State and Greg Schiano, this is going to be a very simple game plan of, great, we're going to play man coverage on the outside. We're going to press you and bump you at the line. If you're going to beat us, you're going to have to throw the ball downfield. We're just going to bet that by the time that you have to wait in the pocket to let that that route develop, our guys are going to get to the quarterback first. That's really where this game is going to come down to is if USC can somehow protect Darnold long enough to let those receivers, you know, get downfield. Yeah, they'll have success. But if Ohio State's getting penetration, it's going to be a really, really long night for Sam Darnold. Uh, what get, is there a team that Ohio State's played recently that is similar to USC from a talent standpoint, from a personnel, from a way they go about their business? You, you mentioned Oklahoma's. That's not. I mean, I, the way Oklahoma plays and with Mayfield and and certainly Oklahoma up front offensively on their offensive line, you know, is as good as anybody in the country. Um, who do they look like to you when you watch them? People aren't going to like hearing this, but you know, offensively they they look like a better version of Indiana. Um, yeah. you know, they're going to make those difficult throws outside. They've got a quarterback that can put the ball anywhere on the field with accuracy. Um, they've got better receivers. They're not as big as, as Simi Cobbs and some of those guys from Indiana that, that just use their body to gain space. You know, that's the one knock against USC receivers you could probably make is they've really only got one player that's a, a big bodied push you out of the way and bully you in the red zone type guy. Um, and that's Michael Pittman Jr. And he's still a sophomore and not really, he hasn't really developed that kind of game yet. Um, but it's that style. It's, it's a spread you out offense. Um, they want to run the ball with zone schemes. They want to throw it outside of their receivers. They don't want the quarterback running on the zone read necessarily. They think they can out, out execute you on the edges and they've got the talent to do it against most teams. The issue is that is they're not going to be able to protect and that they're not going to the running games. I would be surprised. Ronald Jones is a very good back, and you know he might squirt through the tackle and and pick up some yards here and there. But this is not going to be a a game where the Trojans are able to just move back that defensive line and open up big holes for Ronald Jones. Okay, so that's that's making me way too optimistic. So I need to we need to like <laughs> change tracks here. Uh, so one of the things I think a lot of people are going to be talking about in the lead up to the game is is the Ohio State defense versus the USC offense. But honestly, what I'm more curious about is, and I'm sure this is going to be a topic that you will talk at length about, but the Ohio State offense versus the USC defense and what's going to show up, how they're going to try to attack it. And I know a lot of it you know, rests on how JT Barrett performs and what he's able to do in general, but what are some vulnerabilities in the USC defense that Ohio State might be able to exploit? Well, I mean, they, they've given up points. Um, you know, this, this is a Pac-12 defense that's basically in, in the Pac-12 you have um, you know, Stanford and Washington and everybody else and right. everybody else, everybody else loves giving up points. Um, you know, they're used to those offenses, very similar to, to um, USC's, you know, USC's own offense where they want to make plays on the outside. They want to put our skill guy against your skill guy. Um, you know, USC's had a good, had a pretty good run of putting, you know, NF, or NFL players in the, from the, the trenches out there. Um, not a great product, you know, producer of linebackers necessarily. Um, they still obviously get talent. They've got, um, you know, a great recruiting base. But I, I think what you're going to see is a, this, this isn't going to excite people, but Ohio State's going to try to pummel them in the trenches on both sides. You know, I expect this game plan to look a lot like the Wisconsin game plan, which was J.K. Dobbins on first down, J.K. Dobbins on second down, maybe, maybe play action, maybe J.T. Barrett runs for a first down, rinse and repeat. Because this, that's a game plan that works to Ohio State's favor. They don't need to overthink this. This is not a down Brown Michigan defense um, that's going to come at you with all kinds of different stunts and formations and all kinds of different coverages that they're trying to trick you and bait you into something. That's not who USC is. 
they they are a little bit more of a traditional sit back. We're we're going to do what we do. Um, we're not going to try to confuse you too much. Um, but again, that's going to play right into Ohio State's strengths of who Ohio State really is, which is a physical Big Ten rely on a running game football team. I'm sure they'll look for the play action pass, much like the Wisconsin game plan, where you know once those safeties are cheating in, can you hit KJ Hill or Johnny Dixon down the seam? Um, hopefully they can catch the ball and hopefully the ball can get there, you know, on the right place at the right time. But, you know, I, I don't see this as all of a sudden, you know, they're going to unveil a whole new game plan um, just because it's, it's the vaunted USC defense. I just don't see that in the cards. You, you, there, there's obviously going to be wrinkles. They got three weeks to get ready and they're not going to yeah. just, you know, roll out the day one game plan. But, you know, this is, I, I think if you're expecting a totally different look from the Ohio state offense, you're, you're going to be disappointed. Kyle, let, uh, off of this game, you, you've had a chance to look at Darnold. I, I, I'm doing this show from the Cleveland area where obviously they're going to pick number one in the NFL draft. And it's been my contention, and I haven't I haven't studied Darnold. I've watched him play three or four times this year. Um, I would take Rosen over him, number one overall. I, I, to me, Rosen doesn't really have any flaws other than, you know, some people pick on him because he's from a rich family and he's, you know, has opinions on things. But from physically, he looks like he has everything that you'd want. Um, what, what's your feel on Darnold as 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 uh, being worthy of that number one overall pick? I mean, he's physically everything you want. I mean, I think, you know, physically, Darnold's a more impressive player than Rosen. Um, you know, I watched the USC-UCLA game um, that everyone else did. I, I was a little surprised how many people came away saying Rosen looked so much better. Um, I didn't quite have that same takeaway. I thought they played okay. pretty evenly. It's pretty clear to me that Darnold had a much better supporting cast um, than right. the one Rosen had. You know, Rosen put up a bunch of yards, but um, I, I, I think they're pretty close in that regard. But um, Darnold definitely is, you know, he looks, he's more of a college quarterback in that he's able to make things happen with his feet. He's able to extend plays. He's, he's much more of a Ben Roethlisberger than okay. say, a Tom Brady. Let's put it that way. Um, okay. And, you know, Roethlisberger, you know, he, he's tough to take down. He's, he's going to escape the pocket a little bit. He's going to find that guy that, you know, after the route's, route's broken down a little bit, and he, it's kind of a make it up as he goes along. And that's where Darnold really shines. Um, he can do all the things that you're looking for from a pro prospect of, you know, take three steps and wing it on, a, on an out route. Um, and that's great. He, can, he, he does a really great job. One of the big things that USC has really built their offense around, despite everyone thinking it's a, a pro-style offense, it's very similar. You know, one of the things I wrote this week was how it's similar it is to Ohio State's offense in that it's very driven on um, run-pass options. And he, whereas I think the big difference, though, is, is Ohio State's offense, the run-pass option is, great, I might hand off if I'm JT, JT Barrett, then I'm going to run outside, and maybe I've got a bubble screen or I've got Marcus Ball on a, an out route in the flats. Um, but the three options are, you know, handoff, run for myself, throw this little, this ball on the outside. Darnold's options are handoff. And then I've got two routes. I've got a slant and a flat route. I've got two slants. I got a curl and a flat route. And he's actually making a pass read like you would in a normal passing offense, um, you know, just on a three-step drop after he's already, you know, read for, am I going to hand off or keep? So he's making a lot of quick decisions and he's very good at it. Um, you know, I, I think that speaks to the kind of player he is where he's going to get the ball out. He is a distributor. Um, but he he's also accurate and has a really strong arm. So, you know, he's probably a little bit more raw from a traditional pro-style offense standpoint than someone like Rosen. Um, his footwork's got a little bit of work to do. Um, if, if you want to just really sit in, you know, under center, um, you know, the traditional play action off, out of the I formation, that kind of thing. Um, he's got a little bit of work to do, especially compared to Rosen. But, um, you know, as a fellow follower of Cleveland Browns football, unfortunately <laughs> – you know, it was hard for me to to not think of those things. And yeah, Josh Rosen's probably more like Carson Wentz, um, you know, from you know tradition and you know from his traditional style. Um, but I think you know you can also Sam Darnold's probably more like Marcus Mariota. Um, you know, you can do more things yeah. with him. Um, he's not as polished right now, but he definitely offers you more from a physical standpoint. I just can't have him screw it up, man. I've had to, I've had to host Cleveland Browns daily a few times. That's a I can't. They, they got to get mean, the quarterback. Be, yeah. I mean, we got to get the I mean, quarterback right. Yeah, I, but there's a lot of other things that are going to help. That no, I know. Guys, they can catch passes. <laughs> That's a bit of an issue. Right. Something They've got we a lot also of know about here in Columbus. So, 
yeah, yeah i wouldn't I was, want to wish it on anybody say, like well I was, I was about to say like what's the guy that the cleveland browns are most going to enjoy passing up on in the draft this year oh. yeah brutal <laughs> kyle this was great man this is i i really enjoy your writing and it was great having you on we, we need to have you on more my pleasure guys i'm always i'm always happy to come on and I want to remind you to be sure and visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for hats, shirts, stickers, booze, apparel. I mean, we've got, you got the we got tumblers that are back in and ready to go. And what's the holiday season? Um, yeah. And I think that we st- you're still a little percentage off that's going on. Did I yeah. see that today, John? Still a little yeah. percentage you, you off. You deals and, yeah, it's looking yeah. good. Wheeling and dealing. So go to uh, 11 Warriors Dry Goods for all of your goods from 11 Warriors. All right, I want to do a little Buckeye basketball chatter here in the final segment of the program. Will you ask us anything as well? Um, I will be candid with you, and this is, a, this is a very interesting thing that has happened in the two and a half years that I've moved up to Northeast Ohio from the Columbus area. And the, the, the big thing is, is that nobody up here cares about college basketball. Like none. Nobody talks about it. <laughs> nobody watches it. Uh, it's crazy. And, and because of that, I have become disconnected a little bit. Um, with the Ohio State basketball program, and there's so much going on this time of year for me. Anyway, I'll be very candid with you. I've not sat through an entire Buckeye basketball game this year. I've seen a little bit here and there, and what I've seen, I've liked. The mm-hmm. thing, Johnny, that I, that was most satisfying to me was um, was the video after the Michigan win of Scooney Penn in the locker room that went viral. Oh, yeah, and him getting everybody jacked up. One of the great disappointments to me. Uh, of my time in Columbus and Sco- since Scooney has been back is that he was not on Thad Mata's staff. The second that Scooney Penn came back to Columbus, Ohio, and they had openings, Johnny, they had openings. Oh, sure. The second he came back, Scooney Penn should have been on that staff. Yes. What you I'm saw sure. in that locker room post game is who he is. He's a band leader. He's a court jester. He's who you follow. He is a leader of men an inspirer he is he is the heart and soul and anybody who watched him play knew this knew it plain as day that this is who he was and for thad not to bring him on was always so disappointing to me and i was so pleased to see that holtman brought him on and for me to see that video of scooney bouncing around and the team responding to him he's a pied piper that it's just that was so satisfying to me. I know you wrote about the basketball team this week. I saw Bates Diop was named Big Ten Player of the Week. They, they've had they, – we kind of know who they are from a talent standpoint, but they seem to have played hard, and, and they're at least a fun watch. Uh, yes. Give me your early impressions of the team from what you've noticed. They, they work so hard on the boards. I mean, that, that's – I mean, in general, but that's what I wrote about. I wrote about how hard they're working, uh, getting rebounds and whatnot, and that's really indicative, I think, of the attitude that they have overall, which is we're just – shooters going to shoot. You know what I mean? Like, they, they just keep yeah. going at teams, and that, that comeback against Michigan was hilarious and epic and should not have happened, uh, but they just kept going after it. Uh, they are – look, talent-wise, they're not going to – you know, it, this is not a Sweet 16 team. This you know, this probably, you know, you're going to get some tough times, I think, once you get into like January and February a little bit. But this is definitely a team that has the potential, I think, to make the NCAA tournament. It's a team that is really fun to watch because they play hard on every defensive possession. I mean, they just work their tails off. And you got guys like Kata Bates Diop who are capable of going off, you know, 25, 30 points on any given night. So what I love is just the the level of give a damn from the team. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not something that you have seen in the past couple of years, frankly. And they just, right. they, they aren't great at every position, but they play really, really hard. They play for each other. Um, they do make some dumb mistakes and they can, you know, they can look like the best team in the world one minute and the worst team in the world the next minute. Uh, but it's pretty clear that there has been a huge attitude shift and, you know, Holman, one of the best things that I think he's really kind of instilled in the team is just them doing what they're going to do, no matter what the score is like they, you know, they understand what their game is and they will play it. And if it doesn't work, they're going to keep trying it until it does work. And if it does work, they'll just keep riding it until it, you know, until they win. So it's it's a really fun team to watch uh, a lot of ball movement. They have, they do a really great job with that. And uh, once they find some like really good shooters and, and have a, you know, a really good established like point guard, uh, I think they'll I think they'll do a lot of really great things. So it's, it's a fun team to watch. And I think Scooney, I mean, I, you know, 
I think he's really emblematic of what the team is going to be. Uh, he may not be long in Columbus because I know he's he's definitely wanting to coach somewhere, but uh, it's it's going to be great to have him while he's here. Yes, it is, and it was it made me happy. So I look forward to it. I'll you know once we get through the holidays and we get into January, then they'll be in part of my regular viewing um, and 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 giving them out, checking them out. I've, I've been able to watch a little bit here and there. All right, before we wrap up, uh, do we have any ask us anything this week? Yeah, my let's- friend? Yeah, let's go ahead and do a couple of those. So we've got a couple of similar questions. Uh, we got one from Matt and one from Alvin. And, and both of these kind of concern assistant coaches. So I'm kind of curious. This is just, I'm going to combine the two here. What do you think about the likelihood of guys like Greg Schiano and Kevin Wilson, who both you know kind of have some baggage uh, in their history, especially with what happened with Schiano recently? What, what do you think their likelihood is of staying at Ohio State for you know multiple years in the future? Chiano is such a wild card. I mean, yeah, I, it's really crazy. Because honestly, before all this went down, I was like, oh, he's gone in a second. But now yeah. I have no idea. I think he's going to have to reevaluate his life a little bit. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know. If, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't I don't think it's fair that what happened to him at Tennessee is a scarlet letter. I mean, he didn't right. do anything. Um, but I just don't know if another situation that good will come up. You saw the money. That he, I mean, four and a half million dollars a year over a five-year deal or whatever it was. I mean, that's he'll get some of that. I, I think it's hard for me to imagine Greg Schiano being like the defensive coordinator at Ohio State and thinking of that as like life fulfilling. I right. mean, I don't. That doesn't. I would think if anything, he'd go back to the NFL and he could probably work his way back into being a head coach in the NFL. That that would probably be a more likely career path. The NFL people still really like him. Um, as for Wilson, I think Wilson would be on the similar path of Shiano. I could see him being a two-year and done guy. Uh, the difference, though, is is that that Wilson, I think regionally he's very respected and certainly respected, you know, like at Oklahoma, Oklahoma for what he did there. And we always, I always felt like he got the most out of his Indiana teams. But it's just a matter of like, you know, what do you want to do with your life? I, both those guys are interesting cases. This is a really good question because. I, I don't have a clear answer of what I think their goals are. Uh, clearly, Shiano's goal was go coach big time college football. He had a big time college football job, and the bottom fell out. So right. <laughs> it's a tricky spot going forward for both of them. But I guess to answer the question, I don't see either one like being longtime Ohio State assistant coaches. I right. think there's probably bigger things for both of them out there. Um, I don't. I don't even know Shiano's age. You know, versus Urban's age. Like, could he have? Because he would have the chops to be like a successor to Urban, and I think he'd be fine if urban had it all set up. Um, but you know, I, they're probably similar ages, so I don't even, that's probably not an, even in play. I, it's, he's got a real man. That's a hell of a conversation with yourself. You have to have to figure out what the next step is. Yeah. So that's the thing, because I don't know. I would say, I would agree with you. I would, I would agree that they've got like maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple seasons or so before they get picked up. But I also think it's interesting to think about how hiring has changed a little bit, especially major college football. I think a lot of people are looking at dudes like, you know, Lincoln, Lincoln Riley and, you know, Tom Herman, all this stuff. And, and maybe thinking like, look, we don't necessarily want to hire, you know, we want the young hotshot coach. We, we don't really want to dump millions into a guy that we're not really sure about, uh, you know, long term. So I don't, I don't really know what's going to happen with their uh, prospects in terms of how, good they'll look in terms of like in light of maybe some of the other guys that have been hired um just because they don't have a lot of head coaching experience in the past you know couple years at least by the time they leave to really reflect upon i think uh their overall like coaching prospects but i like i said i'll give them a couple more years and i'm I'm sure somebody will pick them up i'm sure somebody's going to want to take advantage of some of the things that they've done at ohio state especially greg shiano defensively i mean you look at some of those stats that uh, his teams have been able to uh to put together i really don't know how how long you can keep a guy like that out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting this question. Is guy who was, this is a guy who was offered the Michigan job. Yeah, right. I mean, this is a guy who, who basically built Rutgers, then was offered the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. You know, like he flamed out there, but Chip Kelly flamed out twice and ended up at UCLA. Like Jake, Greg Shiano was, Tennessee hired him, you know? I mean, and then an angry mob got him unfired or unhired. But the reality is, like, this is a guy with chops. Like, he's a program builder. He's an elite recruiter. Like, you, I just don't know how. It's weird. I feel like this thing's going to hang around him and unjustly. And so I don't know what the hell happens with him. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's a really weird situation because I'm I'm with you. I don't know that he's going to be. He's definitely not going to be content being like a DC lifer. No. You know, until he retires. I just I don't see no. that. 
And then, honestly, tell you what, if you want, people are not going to enjoy this or hearing this or even thinking about this, but if you want an inside uh, bet, I guess, on who might be the next to go, my personal pick might be Larry Johnson and not because he's going to a different college, but that dude might want to hang up the cleats. Um, so we'll see what happens oh, with that guy. Sad. Cause that would be sad, but honestly, like there are some, some rumblings that, uh, that dude may be, uh, well, you know, he's, about he's entitled. He's yeah, certainly he entitled. And he's, and he's done everything. I mean, the dude's been around forever and he's, yeah, he's, he's definitely earned it. Uh, right, I would say year, on a side bet, my side bet for next Ohio state assistant to be a head coach would be Ryan day would be oh, the next yeah. guy. Oh yeah. A, yeah. No, there he'll be the next guy. Yeah. I think that's a, a great call on that one. Uh, this one's from Brad, and uh, he's just saying, continuing the conversation of expanding the playoffs from last week, what if we're expanded to eight teams with the Power Five Conference champions get in automatic, automatically? Um, he just feels that that would kind of lead to the least amount of disruption to the system. That's fine. You got to get rid of the conference championships, though, because you're going to be, you know, you're going to be, you're playing either way, whether you go 16 or eight, whatever, like you're going to mm. be, you're playing so many games. I mean, you're then asking the guy who wins it to play three more games, right? So, right. you know, when are you going to play those games? Are you going to play them, you know, into the middle of January? Are you going to play them like this weekend? Like would would last weekend have been, you know, the court the first round in the in the round of you know the quarterfinal? Right. Would you play the semifinal this week and then the final January first? Um, you know, so there's. It, it wouldn't be much to do it. You'd be just adding one more game for a lot of teams. But um, and that's probably where we end up is that, you know, that that that's how we end up, that there will be the five conference champions and three at large. I could see that being a, the next logical step for this thing. Yeah, I just think, you know, in terms of logistics, I think you'll get to a point where a lot of conferences will balk in a lot of ways because they don't want it to encroach on some of the things that they're doing and they don't want to, I don't know. I, I just think you're going to get a lot of people who are really kind of set in their ways. And honestly, like from a safety standpoint, I just, I don't like the idea personally of adding more games um, because I think, I think they're, these guys are injured enough already. And, and a lot of the stuff you see in the NFL, it just is absurd to me Jeez. that for instance, like they have that many preseason games. I just, I think at a certain point you have to start thinking about the health of the player and, and not just adding games because you feel it's more fair to have you know more teams in yeah. there. So I don't know. I, I think that's, that's probably not huge on the list of considerations for most people, I guess, but that's still something I think people should consider, but you know, you could be if the revenues are going up and people are watching the games. I mean, why wouldn't they add more? So we'll see. Yeah. And that's Ask Us Anything. Guys, it, please continue sending those in. Uh, we really love your questions. It's dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. All right, very good. We thank Kyle for joining us. We hope you enjoyed. We'll be back next week for more chatter. As we start to get a little closer to USC and Ohio State, we'll start to gear up on that game a little bit. All right, buddy, we'll talk to you next week. Yep, sounds good.